You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. I've been talking a lot about fundamentals recently, about inflation, about central banks and all sorts of other things. But I haven't been talking about technicals very much. I haven't spoken to a gentleman who's uh, in a place called Fosburg in the Hurt Karur in South Africa. His name is Franz de Klerk and he's a technical analyst bar none. And Franz, I have to say that what has happened recently really prompted me to phone you because there is so much going on. For example, let me give you a little snapshot and then you can take it from there. Because let's say on, I think it was Thursday, Friday and Monday, markets were very buoyant indeed, particularly in the United States. And then on Tuesday, we had the NASDAQ going down, for example, over 5%. And then there was a little bit of a stabilization on Wednesday. And then yesterday, despite the markets looking okay at one point, the S&P, I think, closed down something like 1.2%. And today they're down again. So the extreme volatility and a sell the rallies market. What have you made of it all, generally speaking? You know, Lindsay, I think we spoke about this so many times before that, I mean, the bull market that we had, um, let's say from 2008 till about, let's even before COVID, I mean, it was almost an artificial bull market where the Fed was just printing money. They kept interest rates uh, low and they and they had that stance all the way through and that that created all this massive liquidity. So I think fund managers and big players in the world had almost no option than just to buy the market. Mm. And then when COVID uh, struck, I mean, then the market was uh, caught completely off guard. I can remember just before COVID, the Fed actually wanted to to change their stance and maybe reduce a bit of liquidity. But what we what we did then realize is then they came in and they wanted to save the markets. And, and we understand it because, I mean, it was such a natural period of time. So then they came in, printed more money and kept interest rates even lower. And then that forced, again, all the investors just to run into the market because of it was just so low. And everybody knew that we will see some sort of a recovery in the economy whenever COVID is finished. And that gave us this last you're going to want to say 18 months push to the top where everything just went way past what we even thought that can be. And we always had this thing, even technicals, fundamental guys that always say this, the prices where the indexes are or the shares are, does it really reflect what is happening in the company? And I think since about, let's call it January, February this year, people started to realize, yes, there was a recovery after COVID, but unfortunately, the price to earnings ratio was just too high. And we all, and I mean, all investors just expected too much of any management team, wherever. So, I mean, we have, we've seen it in South Africa, discovery, uh, high price to earnings ratio come down. We see um, a share like Capitec, all those shares that was, price to perfection is suddenly under pressure. And it's not because they are uh, sitting with bad uh, management. It's just, it was just way overpriced. And what we see now, and um, we know that it must come, it, we've got this move first down on the S&P. We can talk about the top 40 as well because the chart is almost the same. But yeah. then we broke that magical, um, you can almost say 200-day moving average. And the moment we broke that, then we knew that this market is in trouble. And I mean, the S&P 500 started to break that early in the year already during January. 
But now we've got a classic Elliott wave play to the downside. Now, an Elliott wave, just to explain it in simple layman's terms, is it always comes with five big legs to the downside. And we had now leg one that went about, let's say, uh, late March. Then it had this beautiful blip up in April. Then this ugly leg uh, three all the way down to June. Then a beautiful recovery all the way to four three. And now we're starting to see this. I I really hope that I'm wrong, but now we see maybe the start of this ugly leg five. And that's the the serious one. That's the one that can take Mm -hmm. um, all investors into a place where they've never been. And I think we just get to a point where a real proper bear market needs to um, almost reshape the investor's mentality. Because what we've seen here was just complacency. Um, even nowadays, you know, I, I get um, some of our clients just phoning me and say, but listen, I did buy the share. It's a good company. They're making good money. I'm happy. But why? The, the share price doesn't want to pick up. It just goes one day, one way. It's just going down and down and down. And that's exactly the case, what's happening now. It's almost on, on lesser liquidity. You see this just the big money is not there. They want to get the money out of the market. And what do they do? They sell your shares that you believe that will never go down. And this is what we're seeing now. And even the technicals, you know, the technicals give you, and I always explain it to the the people that I teach, is that you get these in a bear market, and we are in a bear market. In a bear market, you get these wonderful bear market rallies. And, and, And that's when the bulls are coming in. And, and they believe that the market offers value and they get in and they squeeze everybody out because everybody believes now this is the start of the new big thing. But as it just looks good, it turns around and and then it, it collapses. And the, the nastiest chart for me was when the S&P 500 tried to breach the 200-day um, about, a, let's say, a month ago. And that was at 4,312. And it came just shy of that, I think, three points that evening. And that was the trigger point because when he turned around there, that's what we call a negative goodbye kiss. And since then, the market had this ugly seller from 4.3 to 3.9, tiny little blip, and now we're starting to head back lower again. But believe you me, the bear market rallies is in these, these in-between rallies are really nasty. So don't just think that the market will just go down in one line unless there's a major shock. But this is what we see. We see a, a cool-off period. Where, where, where the moving averages are, are slowly but surely telling you that the market had a wonderful rally. It's time to take a breather, and we're seeing this now almost since um, January this year. Okay, let's have a look at the S&P 500, because as I said, it was it was going along nicely. We had uh, three or four days up, and it was, it was above 4,000, and then suddenly on Tuesday, it had a big whack. Yeah. The Nasdaq even more so, as I said in my introduction. And then after a brief respite, then suddenly we had Thursday, which was a strange day yesterday. I must say a really, really strange day. I think we had three different types of market uh, yesterday, uh, France, which made me nervous because that tells me that people don't know what to do. It was okay, then it was down, then it was up again, and then it was down on the close in the last um, up hour and a half or so. What are you seeing? Your indicators must be going mad at the moment. You know what, what I do see? I, I actually pick it up on the candles. Um, now, now, you know, when you're a day trader like myself, um, now usually in the S&P in the evenings as, as our time zone is a little bit different, um, we usually trade intraday and, and in the evenings we're not that involved with the S&P. But what do you do see is if you check it on an intraday chart, maybe a 30-minute or 60-minute chart, 
you will see as it goes up, you've got this beautiful, wonderful bullish candles, you know, usually belt old line candles that tells you, oh, the bulls are back and then happy and they, they, they're there. But then suddenly, let's say you use a 60-minute time frame or whatever, then suddenly before that 60-minute candle finishes, you will see a tiny little shadow to the top. And it just tells you that somebody is selling in, in, in strength here. And then the next candle, it will go up, but it, then it will give you maybe a, a higher or a longer a shadow to the top. And before you know, then you start swinging it around. Now, what I usually do is when you do use a 60-minute chart and you see that um, in these kind of markets, you actually need to sit in front of the chart if you really want to time yourself to a point where you can enter in at a good uh, place. And for me, it's simple. Then I move to a 30-minute chart just to get the timing right. And then on a 30-minute, you'll see that 100% clear indication that um, something is going on and they're selling into string. And that's what happened. In actual fact, the day before yesterday, you had this, when I mean, the market uh, opened up on the S&P, even on the NASDAQ, it gapped down. Now, yeah. usually a gap down market on the start is, 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 is a nervous market. It tells you that, that the investors wants to get out of this. And then it was like almost a straight through selling right through. Now, yesterday, we had an, what we call an Arami candle. And an Arami candle is usually, usually an uncertain candle. And... Everybody usually know that after you, you've got this, let's say this ugly 3% or 2.5% sell-off and you do get a Rami candle the next day, and that's uncertainty, you usually will get this tiny little bounce. But what happened? It did not give that tiny little bounce. So that tells you that there were some investors that were so nervous within that Rami candle that they really wanted to get out. And even this morning on the overnight index, when the index opened just after 12, it gapped down again. Right. And, and although it's on the futures market, that makes things a little bit ugly. And there's a little uh, different tune to the story. And that's it. Remember, we had futures closeout. <clears throat> now, the future closeout usually favors the bulls or let's say the long-term investors. And the, the big players like the banks, they always work out, okay, where will their loss be um, limited? And they know if they usually cover the guys on the long side, they don't need to pay out a lot of money because it goes in their direction. But what happened this time, in actual fact, it did not go into their direction and it started to sell off. And we know that there's a lot of um, hedge funds around the world that's actually short of these markets. And they made money out of this. So the bulls or this big let's say uh, finance houses, could not keep the market high or kept it up. And that's the big nervous thing for me. I think what we're seeing now is that we're seeing the outflows of these markets are starting to become more evident, more aggressive. And these jumps that we see is they are there and they are vicious and that's typical of a bear market, but they have no backing behind them. And that worries me the most because if I look at the S&P chart as we're talking now, yes. we've gotten what we call a head and shoulder formation. Now, a head and shoulder now, formation. I was looking at that myself. Knows, it's interesting, isn't it? It's a warning it's, formation. Although the right shoulder, mm. although the right shoulder, and, and as you say, you look at it, the right shoulder is a little bit higher than the left shoulder. And if you look at the chart, you will actually see that the, the candle, and I'm going to give you the date as you in front of the, as you in front of the chart, yes. the candle on the 8th of September, the, the next day was exactly on, let's say, on the turn of the right shoulder, and it didn't turn, it gapped up. 
And everybody thought now the, 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 the bulls are back and they can almost, let's say, resolve and, and, and solve the problem and go high. And what happened? Immediately after that, you got that ugly day. You know, that was the, the worst day, I mean, I think since 2020, 13 September. I mean, so it just shows you that there's a lot of sellers here. And then you do get, on the other hand, and I work with a lot of fund managers. They try to convince people to stay in this market, to stay invested. But if you if you look at that, and you look at all these indexes, if you look at the S and P 500 chart on a 20-year basis, and you look at the blip that we've seen here, this market can come down another 800, a thousand points, and nobody will even see that on a blip. Now, stay invested in any market, like let's call it the S and P 500, and that thing drops a thousand points. Your portfolio takes one hell of a hammer. I tell you what, I'm looking at that right shoulder now, and it, it, the right shoulder sort of is around about 4,100 on the S&P, and we're currently trading at what, gosh, 38.80 or, or, or something like that. Let me have a look at that now. Now we're at 38.76, so we're exactly. below that neckline. Yeah. And if, if that head and shoulder formation plays out, I mean, that will take us to 3.630 now, and that will be the previous low where everybody thought, okay, it can go lower. And then we had this wonderful rally all the way from 3.6 to above 4.3. Um, so for me, I think today is almost like a, a pivotal day. And, and the market needs to show us what it wants to do. I think we're going to struggle to get above the 3.9 because 3.9 is, is, is like a, a, a nice psychological level. But if we do drop and we get to 3.8, I think the moment, and remember, I can maybe give this little uh, window, and then mm. um, you look at this chart as well, uh, the 14th July to the 15th of July, there's a beautiful little gap there, and that gap is sitting between 3.796 and 3.817, so I think we'll probably head down there and close that little gap, and hope that we can bounce off there, because if we don't bounce off that, there's a tiny little gap and maybe just for, for listeners that's maybe new to the program, what is a gap? A gap is when, let's say, for instance, you want to buy a share, but you are so optimistic that the share closed yesterday at three rand, and you phone your broker at nine o'clock and you say, listen, I want to buy the share. And he said, well, then you need to pay 340. Mm. And then I say, yes, I'll pay 340. That gap. That means that it's a, it's a, it is an emotional gap. And there was a gap right at the bottom before that 3630 uh, found support. And that is between 3707 and 3715. Uh, so I think if the 38 breaks, we'll probably go to that gap here. But so unfortunately, the chart uh, favor the bears. And what makes me the most nervous is that 200-day moving average that was tested and it failed to break above that, and since then, it was almost like a straight down selling. In the days, uh, France, you know I love gaps. You know, if I had my way, if I was president of the Securities and Exchange Commission in the United States, I would ban all 24-hour trading, and I would just say, the market's going to open at um, half past two, and it's going to close at half past nine, or something like that. I would do that, because the gaps on the charts are the best signs and the most predictive indicators you can ever get. I always remember the breakaway gap, which is that first gap you were talking about. You want to yeah. buy it, and you have to buy it at 3.40, even though it closed at 3.00. Then you get the runaway gap when everyone else gets excited as well and the market runs away. And then once once the, the Johnny-come-latelys come along, 
you get the exhaustion gap. The market's exhausted and that is the end of it. So you get three gaps and then down it tumbles or up it goes, depending on whether it's a bull or a bear market. And of course, my favorite gap of all time is the island reversal, where there's an island left with nothing around it, just seawater. And, uh, and that's the end of the bull or the, or the bear market. So I'm a big fan of gaps. Now, I'm going to read you something now because I was reading about the 87. Yeah. I, was, I was trying to look up the 1987, uh, October 1987 trading patterns before the 20% fall on, on, on Black Monday. And I'm go I went to Investopedia and it says here, and this is a very interesting um, uh, paragraph, very simplistic, but it's very interesting as well. He said, uh, the chap that wrote this, ominous signs before the crash. Don't forget, this is 1987, but have a listen and see what you think. There were some warning signs of excesses that were similar to excesses at previous inflection points. Economic growth had slowed while inflation was rearing its head. OK, so we've got economic growth slowing and we've also got inflation rearing its head. Then it says the strong dollar was putting pressure on U.S. exports. The stock market and economy were diverging for the first time in the bull market. And as a result, valuations climbed to excessive levels with the overall market's price earnings ratio climbing above 20. Future estimates for earnings were trending lower, but stocks were unaffected. It's exactly what we're seeing today. Exactly what we're seeing. Exactly. And, and you know, while we're talking on that, if you go to, if we maybe we've got time, and you go to the dollar index chart, yeah. that exactly uh, reflects that point that the dollar is so strong that it almost destroys everything around it and in actual fact the americans think that that it is good in actual fact that is detrimental and that is the problem that inflation we all know that inflation actually comes from creating money it's not from a supply or whatever issue it's coming from creating money because then you force these prices and that's what's happening but before we move on, mm. these three gaps that you explained, um, if, if there's any viewer here and they just take the S&P 500 chart and I'm going to give the dates, the 7th, the 8th, the 9th and the 10th, there was just not an island reversal, but all those other three gaps was classical gaps yes. that you've explained. Yeah. Yeah, we don't get that now because of 24-hour trading. But if you just take out yeah, uh, the overnight yeah. trading, yeah. I mean, you you know that at midnight at midnight the S&P 500 futures open, and you 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 like me, if you're awake, you have a look at it. But France, so we got that. So we got the S&P, and you've given us a good description of what might happen, what has happened, and what might happen. What about the all share? Is that very similar? Yeah, if we look at the you're talking the all share index of South Africa, exactly um, the JSC. You know, if we yeah, at the JSE, you know, if we if we look at that, um, in actual fact, I, I listened to a wonderful seminar this week. And um, of course, it was guys that that was so bullish on our market. And one of the guys that was there, I, I missed the company's name, but they one of the big players in the world uh, investment house. And, and he said uh, in South Africa, unfortunately, our market um, has got to a point where we only have about 20 top companies in the world that you can invest in. And if you look at that, if they invest 1% of their capital in the local, let's say, top 40 or the overall index, they will actually own the index. And that is how small our top 20 shares is if you compare it to the rest of the world. And that makes me nervous. But if we back to the top, uh, the overall indexes chart, and I'm using a monthly chart here, 
Now, the monthly chart from 2020, you know, we had that wonderful rally from 45,000 to almost 77,000. But now we're sitting on what we call a rising wedge. Now, a rising wedge is always a formation that, that worries me because it is a warning formation. But that rising wedge is in play now. It already came into play a while back. I can give you the level if they want it. And that is at 72,173. But there is also an ugly head and shoulder there. And it's typical, almost like the S&P 500. We've got the left shoulder. We've got the head. We've got the right shoulder. The only difference is the right shoulder is a little bit lower than the left shoulder. But that target is 57,100. And remember, this is on the overall index. That means another 6,500 points. And we are there. And even if you look back at that market, then you will see that since 2016 to 2020, we were spot on all around that 57,000 mark. And so I think that overshoot that we were talking about, that classic thing of enormous overvalued uh, um, over, uh, share prices, it's coming back to that old normal 57 if this head and shoulder formation plays out. But that chart also doesn't look healthy to me. And you know, the, the only saving grace that we had, remember we always had NASPERS and, uh, before process, it was NASPERS. And now it is the commodities. Mm. And if inflation stays where it is now, we know automatically um, the commodity prices will eventually come down. And if that comes down, then the, those stars that kept our market going for the last two years, they're over. I mean, then they need to come down. And the, the, the problem about it is if you look at commodities, unfortunately, commodity shares are cyclical. Mm. And they're not like a value share where you've got this beautiful higher lows all on the way and you're happy. Uh, a cyclical shares tend to go 10%, 8%, 7% down. I mean, look at Harmony from 80 Rand to 30 Rand from on almost nothing. And that's typical of it. And that makes me worry. And that's why I'm looking at this head and shoulder formation of the overall index. Yeah, me too. Okay, what about the Rand now? You've sketched out a potential scenario. Uh, then the RAND, the RAND stuff. I mean, look at the RAND now, um, France. I'm just looking at it. Where is it now? It's 1770. It's, it's, it's yeah, seven, it's nearly 1770. I mean, at the worst level of, of the worst um, news that we ever had with the Nenegate story, which was a disgrace, when that, and that wasn't to do with markets, that was to do with politics. It was, uh, I think it got to 19 for a brief moment overnight. But now we're 1770. It's not that far away. And it's obviously a dollar story because the euro dollar is 99.65 at the moment, having been, goodness me, 120 not that long ago. What do you, what, what do you, when you see the rand, it's a, it's a big bear market, isn't it, against the dollar? Yeah, and, and you know what I see in the rand is, and, and, and you know, we've still got this massive inverse head and shoulder um, that we talked about. I cannot remember when, but we talked about it and we said that neckline sits at 16.35 and that neckline turned into a support. So that inverse head and shoulder is in play. And if that plays out, it should take the rand to 18 rand 22. So we need to go to from 17.70, let's call it to, to 18.22 to get that. The only saving grace that we've got mm. is that the rand is slowly but surely moving higher, what we call in an ascending channel. So it comes back to the support. It weakens from there. It goes up to the resistance. It, and we're right there. We touched that resistance line this morning. 
Now, luckily, an ascending channel is always a strengthening formation, but only when the support breaks. And we haven't seen that yet. It's like someone phoned me this morning. He wants to take all his money now out, out overseas, and he wants to invest in the dollar, and he wants to go full-blown into the S&P 500. And I said to him, did you look at the chart? And he said to me, yes, but what does it say? I said, well, the rand only weakened 80 cents in four days. Let's hope that the channel breaks eventually and it takes it down maybe to 16.55 or 16.60. Then you take your money out. So it's, it's classical that the rand is under huge pressure. But I think we're so close to that top um, of that channel that it can easily give us a little bit of a, let's call it just a, a breather. But I mean, the dollar is, is just so strong. It, it destroys everything around it. But um, what makes me more nervous is that this rant has got now, if you look at that chart, it, it, it's almost like the S&P, you know, it, 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 it's, it's bullish for three, four days and then wow, it weakens. Yep. And it's the same with the rant. You know, it looks good for two days. And then you've got the other day we had that beautiful Marabuzu candle. And um, I'm going to say to the guys, 13 September, you can see it went from, let's call it 17 rand to 1746 in one session. One go. And that just tells you that there was so many dollar buyers around. They just brushed in and, 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 and uh, I mean, bought dollars. So, so I hope that we can see a little bit of a strengthening because South Africa, we know the economy is not doing well and the petrol prices are extremely high. But what we do see here is that um, it's an overbought situation. On, on the dollar side, so hopefully we can see a little bit of a thinking. That's what I hope for. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. Okay, I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. Uh, commodities, uh, gosh, they're all over the place. It's a very noisy graph, that CRB index that you know I favor. Uh, I want you yeah. to, to tell me about bonds, though. The US 10-year bond. It's coming close to a multi-year high for the yield, which, as I think, was around about 3.48.5 uh, or 3.49% about three months ago. It came back to just over 2.50%, and everyone thought, well, that's it. People are buying bonds again. But now here we are pushing again uh, that 350 level. What do you see? Because this is terribly important, France. Listen, Lindsay, if there's now something that worries me is that that US 10 bond. Um, mm. You know, if you look at that chart in 1981, in actual fact, I did that during the week. In 1981, it was above 15. Mm. Okay. And we now, let's say 3.6, 3.5. Um, and if you look at that chart, since 2010, all the way right through till now, we've got what we call a classic rounding bottom chart. Ah. Now, if you want a bullish chart. Like a saucer, in a other words, like, like a saucer bottom. That saucer, mm. that saucer, it's a wonderful saucer pattern. Now, that saucer pattern, unfortunately, will break, and I'm going to give the level, is at 3.97. Okay. If that breaks, we can easily go, I mean, if that saucer plays out, it can go to um, 6.75. Now, just imagine what that will do to the normal consumer in America, 6.7. I mean, it just tells you we will see higher interest rates, and we're going to see steepening on that curve, and that is such an ugly chart. Um, if you want a bullish chart on the other side, that is the US 10. And I can see that when this chart really gets going, um, for interest rate cycles, I mean, around the world, it will cause havoc. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, already you're seeing it. Although the US 10-year hasn't broken that 350 level, and you're talking about, let's call it 4%, uh, but... Yeah. Uh, mortgage rates, bond rates in the United States of America, in other words, the bond on your house, are at four-year highs now and steadily rising because mortgage lenders are, are, are suddenly saying to themselves, we've got to cover ourselves here, and if someone wants to buy a house, we're going to charge you this. So they're going ahead of the U.S. interest rate cycle. And that's bad for the market as well because, you know, the Americans are ob obsessed with buying property. They're not renters, they're buyers over there. To me, it's very serious. S&P down 1.2% again at the moment, by the way, on its lows. Yeah, Lanzinia. So I, if you know, if you if you talk interest rates, I mean, you've been through that cycle probably uh, because you almost my age. I mean, in the 80s, <laughs> we've seen in South Africa bond uh, rates of mortgage bond rates of 25, 22%. Mm. Um, you know, in those years, my wife, Erica, actually took a, a second job just to pay the interest. Because I was in an occupation then that I would I was not allowed to take any other jobs on, and and I mean it almost destroyed us. And that's the critical thing here that um, people that don't know interest rates, you know the banks, they only your friend while you can pay, but when you you cannot pay and they start to squeeze that interest rate higher, they will they will kill you, mm. and and that's exactly the point what we're seeing here, and that's why I'm just nervous on it and and. I will just say, if you can, if there's any possibility, don't make any debt. Because this chart tells me that things can really get very nasty. And as you say, you know, in America, you know, it's, it's so nice to buy a house. Let's call it for 500,000 US dollar. And I think most of those houses are much more expensive. That's okay to pay that bond if it's 1% and 2%. But let take that to 8% or 7%. I mean, it will just destroy you. Mm. Lots to think about, um, France, but what you've got to think about now is the summer is coming to the career. Hopefully uh, there's enough water around to uh, to make your life uh, comfortable and the tourist lives uh, comfortable. And all you have to do when you ever you're worried about conversations that you had with people like me, you just go outside and sit on your stoop and have a cup of coffee or a, a glass of uh, Branavein or something like that. That's what you do. So you're lucky. Yeah, Lindsay, you know what? We, we are lucky, but on the other hand, um, you know, we live a simple life. Um, I mean, if you look at, uh, like, people the other day, and we don't, I know I'm not a financial advisor, but I, I said to somebody the other day, the guy wanted to, let's just say, semigrate from uh, Pretoria down to the, to the Cape. Mm. And I said to him, let's say you've got 15 million rand in your pension fund or cash. Mm. Now you want to go and spend three and a half million rand on a house and then pay a levy of 7,000. Then you, then you must just know that you cannot retire on what you've got left. So it is maybe an option to look at what we do is live a simple life, go to maybe a place where you can at least live cheaply. And then you've got something to live on because I mean to, to rush down and say, listen, I've got the best place now and I pay this massive levies. Um, it works well for the guy that's got that, this massive income stream or, or that is rich, uh, maybe a 25 plus million rand. But I can tell you, I write newsletters and, and analyze charts, not for a year, but for many years. And out of my practice, there's a handful of people that retires with more than 15 million. And everybody rushed now to these posh areas. And, and I know that there's a lot of people that actually 
say, but you must go to this and you must go to that. And But if you haven't got the money, just, um, you know, in Afrikaans, we, we've got the saying says, um, live in photo, just live cheaply, just live within your means. That's the big thing. But um, I mean, it's such a difficult time. The only thing is don't have debt. But I mean, we're fortunate. Yeah, I mean, we 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 far away from other places. You know, 100 kilometers is the nearest, biggest town from us. But we can buy all our other stuff here. So it's a different world, but it's not everybody's world. But if your wife loves it and you loves it, then that's the place to be. Perfect. There you are, you see. You're a philosopher as well as a, a great technical analyst. How do we get hold of you? How do people get hold of you, Franz de Klerk? Lindsay, they can get hold of me at www.fransdeclerc.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, we've got a little tiny guest house now that I use a lot for training where people want to actually train some uh, proper charting if they if they pop around here. But all the detail is on www.fransdeclerc.com. There they can see what we write about and, and if we can assist, we'll gladly do so. Jolly good. France, thanks so much for your insight. That's France de Klerk, independent technical analyst. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.